recently at Green Dragon Zen Temple, uh, the baker made focaccio for lunch. And he said to me, he said, do you know what focaccio means? And I said, no. He said, it means focus. It comes from the word focus. And uh, he reminded me that the word focus, I don't know if it's actually, if it's, if in Italian, um, uh, Latin, if, it's, if focus is pronounced focus. But it's a Latin word. And the focus, focus is the word, the Latin word for the hearth in the house. So it's, it's bread made in the hearth. It's bread made at the focus. And then he also says something about, yeah, the, the focus is like, the hearth is the center of everything in the home. I also, the, when I thought of mentioning that to you, another thing came to my mind, which I think the word genius also has a Latin root, and I think the word genius means the protective deity of the home. Like, my genius is protecting my home. Or you could say, also, it's protecting the, f- the focus of my life. Each of us has a genius which can take care of the focus, the center of your life. And then there's an opportunity to exercise that genius. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm not a genius. And that takes us back to our story. I'm not a genius. But our, our genius thinks we are and welcomes us to come and join the genius activity. So the, the focus or the hearth of the bodhisattva samadhi is the bodhisattva wish, the bodhisattva aspiration. To make Buddhas for the welfare of the world. And then there's the aspiration, and you can also, in a sense, vow, commit to that aspiration. So the, the aspiration and the commitment to the aspiration is at the center of the bodhisattva samadhi. So there's, a, there's an awareness which is open and relaxed and calm and flexible and undistracted from the bodhisattva vow. That, and there's a genius there, potentially, to, to protect and maintain that wish which comes 
from our intimate relationship with all beings. So the song of the Samadhi says, you have this focus. This is what Buddhas take care of. This is what they, they transmit this focus. And the focus they transmit is the transmission. They focus on transmitting the transmission. They, they focus on intimately transmitting the intimacy of all beings and the vow to realize that. And now you have this so you can take care of it. You can remember that it's at the center of your life. And you don't have to move it all to be there to take care of it. It's, it's at the center. And if you do move, away from it, or if you do go someplace else to look for it, uh, you will be kind of, uh, you'll have a trouble. You'll, You'll feel poorer and poorer, and you'll feel less and less like this gift has really been given to you. But there's a recovery program. So in the story, it's like shoveling dung which is, means you shovel everything that uh, doesn't seem like um, a blessing. Everything that doesn't seem like um, a most wonderful, precious form of life. You take care of it. You have a job. And the, and the more you do that shoveling, the more intimate you become with what you think is not a blessing. And the more you can become intimate with what, is, what you think is not a blessing, which is actually is a blessing, in the form of something to work with, something to be compassionate with. The more you work with what you don't want to work with, what you think is not so nice, you become more and more willing and happy to do that work and you become more and more confident. That living with all beings is always a great blessing. And then you can go into the house where you didn't feel um, was an appropriate place for you. And the work in the house is a little bit different from the work in the stables with the dung. So in this session, some people are working with dung, having various levels of uh, willingness to work with dung. Some people are like, yippee, dung. Other people are like, yuck, dung. And some people are, yippee, dung, and I feel so confident in my dung shoveling that I'm willing to deal with stuff that doesn't seem like dung. 
That's sort of the stuff in the house, which seems like jewels or was too special for me originally, but now I can I can accept it. Until I kind of settle down with the dung, I may feel like uh, other things, other kinds of opportunities are too subtle for my agitated mind. So settling down with grosser things helps us feel like, I guess I could be settled with more subtle things or more dynamic things. Dung may not seem that dynamic. But if you can be settled with dung, in that settled state, you can open up to more and more dynamic aspects of your life. About 46 years ago, um, I went through a ceremony called priest ordination in San Francisco. And before the ceremony, I believe before the ceremony, Suzuki Rishi told me the name he was going to give me. He told me actually half the name. And before I get more into that story, I want to go back to the other story and a part that I forgot to tell you, which is that when the father went down to the stables in his dirty clothes to encourage his son, you know, work hard, and actually you are working hard, good boy. Uh, He gave him a name. And different translations make me not sure exactly which is the best way, but it's not clear to me whether he gave him the name son, or if he said, you're like a son, and then gave him another name. But part of the process is to, is to get, is to receive a new name. Part of the return to our family is to get a family name, which we have forgotten. So part of my process was to get a name. I didn't ask for a new name, but it was given to me. And so he said before the ceremony, he said, I think he said, your name will be Ten Shin. Uh, people will call you Ten Shin. And, he call, and before that, I don't remember him ever saying to me, Reb. I don't remember ever calling me Reb. Maybe he did, but I don't remember. <laughs> I heard shortly after I came to Zen Center he was at a meeting with some students and they referred to me in the meeting and they said Reb such and such or so and so and Suzuki Rishi said you mean I had a mustache at the time <laughs> so you mean and somebody said so he doesn't know who you are <laughs> maybe they thought 
that I cared whether he knew who I was or not, and that it would be encouraging for me to know that he noticed me. Actually, I was pretty sure he noticed me because I put myself right in front of him all the time. So it would be hard for him not to notice me. So that day, uh, in August 1970, he told me, your name will be Ten Shin. And then he said, Ten Shin means Reb is Reb. So the name he gave me means Diane is Diane. That's what it means. And Christian is Christian. And Maya is Maya. That's what that name means. He gave me a name which means Helen is Helen. That's what it means. And when Helen is Helen, and when Craig is Craig, that's Tenshin. That's my name. When you are you, that's my name. My name is when you are you. And then he said, people may have a problem with that, but it can't be helped. So that's my name, and it's also my assignment. And I would say that's your name, too, and that's your assignment. And he didn't tell me about the next part, which is Zenki. And Zenki means, it's translated many ways, but the way I've chosen, the translation I've chosen is the whole works. And the whole works, the English expression is, has a pivot in it. The pivot is between colloquial English and standard English. There's a pivot there. So the whole works in colloquial means everything, right? That's a colloquial expression. But in standard English, the whole works is a sentence. The whole works. And those two meanings pivot on each other in that expression. And in Chinese, it's the same. It's a total dynamic function or working. It's going in all directions. It's mutual. When you are you, when you are you, that's everything. As you. When I am me, that's everything as me. And, yeah, and I am me, and I am everything as me. And that's my name to help me be who I am, which is everything as me. And also, that is everything working. That's the, the whole working as me. And it's me working as the whole. My job is to be me. And that, people may have trouble with that. And I, be, I may be one of the people who has trouble with that. <laughs> me being me is 
involves dung shoveling and also going into the house. But going into the house, you open up, you're ready to open up to that dung shoveling is the whole works. And when first you say, the whole works, forget it. This, this person is not the working of the whole universe. I cannot accept that. Well, just shovel dung more. And you finally have the confidence to accept the teaching that you include the whole universe, that you support the whole universe, and the whole universe supports you. You are a blessing, and everything in the universe is a blessing to you. It's, everything is helping you sit at the pivotal working of all Buddhas, the working pivot of all ancestors, helping you take up your place. And at that place, you're, you're not abiding. You don't abide there. You're fundamentally, because you support the whole universe, you don't abide where you are. By being completely where you are, by being completely where you are, you don't abide there. When you're completely where you are, you're the whole universe. You're everywhere in everything. You're not here. You're everywhere. And when you're completely here, everything's here, but not you. When you're completely here, when Reb is Reb thoroughly, there's no abiding. Reb is is non-abiding. Non-abiding is the way Reb really is. Non-abiding is the way each of us really is. So bodhisattvas are encouraged to make a mind that doesn't abide, which is the way they already are. Or they're encouraged to, to be themselves. Same thing, completely. And I just ran into a quote just a couple of days ago. I just found, I've been going through old papers, and I found this quote from Katagiri Roshi, and he said something like, all you have to do is, well, it was something like, unsophisticatedly, wholeheartedly, be yourself. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of, Reb is Reb is kind of unsophisticated. And the Chinese, the Chinese characters for Ten Shin, it's a colloquial expression, in, in colloquial Chinese, it means to be childlike or kind of simple and naive. So like, what's this? Hmm? What? A hand. Yeah, that's like tension. That's like a, just a, a childlike response. Just nothing sophisticated. Just that's all you have to do. But that's not, again, that's not easy. And so the principle is the more the more you become yourself, the more or the more you are yourself, the more you become the more you become not yourself or 
non-you. There's the, there's the pivot again. The more you're what you are, the more you're not that. The more you are what you are, the less you dwell in what you are. And in order to become what I am, I have to be wholeheartedly compassionate to what I am. If I'm abiding or in myself, I'm not wholeheartedly myself. I'm holding back a little bit. You have to hold back a little bit in order to abide. But the way you really are doesn't hold back. You are completely who you are without holding back, and that's based on non-abiding. And I hear frequently when I visit the Brooklyn Zen Center that the Brooklyn Zen Center is in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is a pretty busy place. That people have a lot of activities in their life in addition to their activities at the Brooklyn Zen Center. And when I don't, I hear some appreciation of the way that their practice is when they're in the Zen Center, and then some expression of difficulty of remembering the practice when they're outside the Zen Center, on the street, and so on. Some people say, it's harder to remember the practice in my daily life than when I'm at the Zen Center. When I'm in, at Green Gulch, I don't hear that so much because most of the people I talk to live at Green Gulch. So they just say it's hard to remember my practice at Green Gulch. <laughs> so there they say it. It's easier in the Zendo and harder when they come out of the Zendo. <laughs> but they're still in the temple and they have a hard time. So there is a kind of easier or harder thing and I accept that. Or another way to put it is there's a time to remember and there's a time when you forget. And when you forget, it's hard to remember. So that's this chant we do at the beginning. This is a chant written by somebody who remembered quite a bit. But he seems to be aware that somebody, maybe even him, has forgotten occasionally. Because of our karmic habits, we sometimes forget the focus of the Bodhisattva Samadhi. (coughs) What is it again? It's a vow. He starts out with the vow. I vow from this life on through a countless life to hear the true dharma. That's what his vow is. And it goes on. Upon meeting it, you know, I will maintain it. And in maintaining it, all living beings in the great earth will attain the Buddha way. That's what I want to do. That's my vow. That's what he's trying to focus on. That's what he vows to remember. But then he says, karmic accumulations 
created causes and conditions for obstacles to remember this. So, we forget. In the zendo and on the street, we forget. But we have a practice for that, which he's mentioning here, confession and repentance. So, I mentioned to somebody that when you forget on the streets of Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever, when you forget, there's a practice when you notice you've forgotten, and it's a powerful practice. It's not your power, it's the power of the practice. The compassionate, truthful practice of saying, I forgot the focus of the samadhi. I forgot my vow. Something happened and I forgot my vow. And I'm sorry. Well, if you are. Or I regret that. That's not what I want to do. I'm embarrassed. I'm a bodhisattva, but I didn't act like a bodhisattva. I want to act like bodhisattva, but I don't think I did, and I'm sorry. And I said to somebody in this group, I said, and you can do that on the street. So last night on the way from here to the hotel, I did it on the street, just to see if it is possible to do on the streets of Brooklyn. (laughs) And I did it out loud with witnesses. And I invited witnesses. And I can, and, and I'll later I'll try it not out loud. I think I can do it silent, silently and out loud. I think you can do it on the streets of the city. When you forget, if you forget the focus of the Bodhisattva Samadhi, if you forget the vow to gather the ocean of Buddha's teaching in order to benefit all beings. If you forget that and you notice it, you can practice wherever you are. You can practice. You can stand still or you can walk or you can sit down and you can say, for example, Oh, bodhisattvas, great beings, please concentrate your hearts on me. I, and then you say your name. So I, Tenshin Zenki. Forgot Tenshin Zenki. I forgot to be me for the welfare of all beings. I forgot. And I'm sorry. And I vow to remember with the body and mind of its sacred meaning. In this case, I vow to remember my name. So, all over this big city, you can do that practice if you forget. And if you remember, then you can remember all over the city as you're bumping into all these people who are asking you to remember. Please remember to be compassionate to me. Please remember to be compassionate everything that comes to you. I think I met uh, Greg at the Austin Zen Center. Did I? I think I met Laura at San Francisco Zen Center. And then when I met Greg at the Austin Zen Center, Laura had 
wound up in Austin somehow. And when I, one of the times I went to Austin to give a retreat, one of the themes of the retreat was a teaching from one of the Chinese ancestors. The teaching was, meet whatever comes with complete relaxation. That could also be said, meet whatever comes with no mind. That's like saying, meet whatever comes um, with samadhi. And then I, and I mentioned that in other venues, and some people courageously said to me that they didn't really feel like they could relax. They, they, they didn't, just didn't think that was okay to relax, to meet, to relax with what comes. So then I realized that there's some requirements. So then I asked, the, I, I tried to find out, well, what, what, do you, what, what do you need to relax with what's coming? I found out, oh, that instruction of relax with whatever's coming is for people who have, done, who have had some other practices that they're doing. Which it, and the other practices are practicing generosity practicing ethical discipline, practicing patience, and practicing diligence. When you do those practices, you're ready to relax with whatever comes. It's hard to relax with what's coming if you don't welcome it. If you don't say, it's hard to relax with something if you haven't said thank you very much, I'm not going to complain about you anymore at all. And you could be another person, or it could be some feeling you have about somebody or about yourself, whatever. Whatever comes inwardly or apparently outwardly, welcome it with complete relaxation. Again, in order to be able to do that, I have to be generous towards it first. Now, if I can meet it with relaxation, then as I mentioned yesterday, then I can, then there can be, that's it, then I can, or then there can be playfulness. Between me and it, it's not like I'm playful and it's not. But there's a, relationship there, this intimate relationship where there can be playfulness with whatever. And in the playfulness, there's discovery of the dharma of dependent co-arising, of creativity. And then there's realization of the teaching of suchness. And then there's liberation. So one thing that just popped in my head was injustice. When injustice shows up, a lot of people feel like, well, you can't relax with injustice. A lot of people feel like injustice is not good. I agree. 
well, how about if justice comes? Can you relax with that? No, that wouldn't be good either, some people think. You should, in, if injustice comes, you should tense up and fight it. And if justice comes, you should tense up and hold on to it. So I, I think justice is good and injustice is not, but I would treat them the same. I, I aspire to treat them the same. I aspire to relax with both. But it seems like people have trouble relaxing with injustice if they can't welcome it. And a lot of people, me included, have trouble re- welcoming injustice. <coughs> but I recommend welcoming injustice. I recommend welcoming everything. You name it, I recommend welcoming it. To lead to understanding it and liberating it. And liberating everybody with it. And you could say from it, but really more with it. And even if I agree that injustice is not good, I still think I should welcome it and then be careful of it. If you're not careful of injustice, there can be harm. But by being generous with it and careful of it and patient with it and diligent with it, you can relax with it, play with it, be creative with it, and understand it. And then beings will be free of injustice. And this process that I just described is the process of justice. So meeting injustice with justice, we find the pivot, the pivotal activity of enlightenment is to bring, is to practice bringing justice to injustice. Now what about if justice comes? Should we bring injustice to it? Maybe so. But actually, we don't have to because wherever there's injustice, wherever there's justice, there's injustice. They're always turning on each other. Injustice is absolutely contradictorily identical with justice. Good is intimately pivoting with evil. And this is the way to not abide in good or abide in evil. And this is Buddha. Buddha does not abide in good, does not abide in evil. Buddha is not. Buddha is our non-abiding life of freedom and peace. Peace is not abiding in peace. War is not abiding in war. They're identical in a contradictory way. This is um, the work up in the house.
and some of you may not want to grow in the house when you hear this, but if, if you do the work of working with the stuff you have to work with that's in your face, if you work with that with compassion, you will have the confidence to do the work in the house. If, so I guess, yeah, the question is, do I want to practice Reb is Reb? I do. I have faith in that, you know. And that faith was, uh, you could say, was given to me. The precept of Reb is Reb was transmitted to me. I received it. It was transmitted to me on August 9th, 1970. It was a gift to me, a precept, a name that was a teaching. I was received it. And I've been working on it for 46 years. And my faith in it is being cared for. And I'm trying to practice Reb is Reb. And I feel actually the universe is more and more, I don't know, more and more, I feel more and more confidence that the universe supports me in Reb is Reb. And one of the ways it supports me is by telling me, we don't like the way you're Reb. Stop being that way. That, that helps me. I have more confidence that people's problems with me are opportunities to clarify the practice of me being me for the liberation of the whole world. So I want to do the practice of tension which is the whole works, which is the working of the universe. I want to do that work. And do I forget sometimes? Yeah. And it's not, usually it's not devastating. It's just somewhat uncomfortable and somewhat embarrassing, somewhat embarrassing, a little bit embarrassing that I forget to be here. in a non-abiding way. And a non-abiding way of being here, which I want to do, is the same as a wholehearted being here. Wholehearted is non-abiding. Half-hearted is abiding. And so sometimes I think I'm half-hearted and I abide somewhat and I feel kind of sticky and embarrassed. Sorry. Reb, you should not be abiding. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just thought of an example where uh, my grandson and I and his grandmother were talking about something, and she referred to something he did earlier in the day, and he said, let's not dwell on the past. So if you catch me dwelling in the past, (laughs) I welcome you to say, hey, come on. Come on, boy. If you see me getting stuck, I welcome you to say, are you stuck? And did you welcome that question? And I'll look. (laughs) 
I think I did welcome it. Are you stuck? I think I was, but not now. Thank you. Thanks for liberating me from being half-hearted. Were you wholehearted the way you said that? I don't know. Do you want to be wholehearted in the way you say, I don't know? Yes. When Suzuki Roshi gave me that name, Tenshin, he didn't say, do you wholeheartedly accept that name? He didn't say that to me. But he could have. could have said, do you accept that name wholeheartedly? And I could have said, yes. Yes, I do. Thank you for that name. And now he seems to be gone, right? He's been gone for about... 44 years, almost 45 years, he's been gone. But now if he asks me if I wholeheartedly accept, I say yes, which is kind of naive because I don't know if I do. So I say, I, teacher, I don't know if I do, but I want to. Was that a wholehearted I want to? I want to. I don't know if I'm wholehearted. But I have confidence that that's the way to go, which is the same, I'll say again, I want to go the way of non-abiding in this. And I have confidence that if I'm half-hearted about this, I will abide. The half-heartedness, being half-alive, is abiding. And being fully alive is not abiding. And again, that fire that in that hearth is something we have to keep reaffirming that we want to be in such a warm, uh, transformative space. Such a non-abiding space. Somebody said to me uh, that... Uh, I think he said something like, he felt like he was on the brink of letting go. So we had this expression, which is in the chant that we do, the evening chant, of the expression that Dogen, that there was an expression transmitted to Dogen when he was in China. The expression was, You monks should drop off body and mind. So he brought that teaching, drop off body and mind, back to Japan. And it's been transmitted to us in the West. So dropping off or letting go of body and mind. So we have, we've heard that. that this, is, this, is a, this is an encouragement from the ancestors. Body and mind really are dropping off all the time, so we should join that. It's another way to say non-abiding. So somebody said, I I felt like I was on the brink of letting go. But there's a subtlety at that point. And he, he he sensed that, he sensed that if I let go, and I would say, if I let go, that my mind or the mind will punish me, will take revenge on me. Because 
I let go is, a, is kind of one-sided. I, I wish that there will, I want there to be letting go. I pray for letting go. So again, when we're wholehearted, we don't abide, and when we don't abide, there is letting go. The wholeheartedness is the letting go. It's not even that the wholeheartedness lets go. The wholeheartedness is the letting go. The wholeheartedness is. So I wish to give my life to wholeheartedness. But I don't do the wholeheartedness because everybody is helping me wish to give my life. I'm not in control of the wish to give my life to wholeheartedness. But there it is. There's the wish. I don't know how that happened, but there it is. Everybody contributed to this. So now there's that wish, and now there's that teaching. And also, when I forget, everybody contributes to that too. But, but I'm accepting the responsibility here for the forgetting, even though everybody made me a forgetful person. So I apologize on behalf of the whole universe. And I feel embarrassed for the whole universe (laughs) that they made such a half-hearted person who's dwelling. But that will heal the whole universe. Each of us is the place the universe gets, gets healed. Each of us is the holing, is the place where the universe becomes whole. I am, and so are you. So that's a teaching, and the samadhi, the samadhi remembers that. The samadhi is not being distracted from that. The self-receiving and self-giving. Receiving and giving. For us to be fully used and to fully receive ourselves and fully give ourselves. The samadhi is remembering that, is undistracted, is taking care of that. And this samadhi is Buddhas. The Buddhas are that samadhi. So it seems like it's time for noon service. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.